0: Let's read the Word of God this morning in Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy 4, verses 1 through 31. We read this in connection with the second commandment of God's law. These were the words of Moses to Israel... Now therefore hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes and unto the judgments which I teach you, for to do them, that ye may live, and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers giveth you. Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it, that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did because of Baal Peor, for all the men that followed Baal Peor, the Lord thy God, hath destroyed them from among you. But ye that did cleave unto the Lord your God are alive, every one of you this day. Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgments, even as the Lord my God commanded me, that ye should do so in the land whither ye go to possess it. Keep therefore and do them. as all this law which I set before you this day. Only take heed to thyself, and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, and lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life. But teach them thy sons, and thy sons' sons. Especially the day that thou stoodest before the Lord thy God in Horeb, when the Lord said unto me, Gather me the people together, and I will make them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me all the days that they shall live upon the earth, and that they may teach their children. And ye came near and stood under the mountain, and the mountain burned with fire unto the midst of heaven, with darkness, clouds, and thick darkness. And the Lord spake unto you out of the midst of the fire. Ye heard the voice of the words, but saw no similitude, only ye heard a voice. And he declared unto you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform, even ten commandments. And he wrote them upon two tables of stone. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and judgments, that ye might do them in the land whither ye go over to possess it. Take ye therefore good heed unto yourselves. For ye saw no manner of similitude on the day that the Lord spake unto you in Horeb, out of the midst of the fire, lest ye corrupt yourselves and make you a graven image, the similitude of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any beast that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged fowl that flieth in the air, the likeness of anything that creepeth on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the waters beneath the earth. And lust thou lift up thine eyes unto heaven, and when thou seest the sun and the moon and the stars, even all the host of them, shouldest be driven to worship them and serve them, which the Lord thy God hath divided unto all nations under the whole heaven. But the Lord hath taken you and brought you forth out of the iron furnace, even out of Egypt, to be unto him a people of inheritance, as ye are this day. Furthermore, the Lord was angry with me for your sakes, and swear that I should not go over Jordan, and that I should not go in unto that good land, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. But I must die in this land. I must not go over Jordan, but ye shall go over and possess that good land. Take heed unto yourselves, lest ye forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make you a graven image or the likeness of anything which the Lord thy God hath forbidden thee. For the Lord thy God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. When thou shalt beget children and children's children, and ye shall have remained long in the land, and shall corrupt yourselves, and make a graven image, or the likeness of anything, and shall do evil in the sight of the Lord thy God, to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day, That ye shall soon utterly perish from off the land whereunto ye go over Jordan to possess it. Ye shall not prolong your days upon it, but shall utterly be destroyed. And the Lord shall scatter you among the nations, and ye shall be left few in number among the heathen, whither the Lord shall lead you. And there ye shall serve gods, the work of men's hands, wood and stone which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But if From thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him. If thou seek him with all thy heart and with all thy soul, when thou art in tribulation, and all these things are come upon thee, even in the latter days, if thou turn to the Lord thy God, and shalt be obedient unto his voice, for the Lord thy God is a merciful God, he will not forsake thee, neither destroy thee, nor forget the covenant of thy fathers, which he sware unto them. We read God's word that far. Let's consider the teaching of our Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 35 this morning. What doth God require in the second commandment? That we in no wise represent God by images, nor worship him in any other way than he has commanded in his word. Are images then not at all to be made? God neither can nor may be represented by any means. But as to creatures, though they may be represented, yet God forbids to make or have any resemblance of them, either in order to worship them, or... To serve God by them. But may not images be tolerated in the churches as books to the laity? No, for we must not pretend to be wiser than God, who will have his people taught not by dumb images, but by the lively preaching of his word. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the second commandment of God's law, which we consider this morning, flows out of the first commandment and is closely related to it. In the first commandment, God charges us to have no other gods before him. He commands us not to have any other god, not to form idols not to invent objects in whom we put our trust and which we adore and love and worship instead of God. That's the first commandment, a commandment against having other gods. The second commandment, God tells us how we are to behave toward him, the one true God, namely that we are not to relate to him through graven images but only in the ways that he commands in his word. It's very easy to forget the difference between these two commandments. I think often we do forget the difference, and except for immediately after a sermon on this commandment, if I would ask you any other time of the year, what is the difference between the first and second commandment? Possibly you would struggle, and even I perhaps at times, to know what is the exact difference between these two commandments. Commandments. They seem to mingle together. They seem to almost say the same thing. And in fact, the Roman Catholic Church teaches that very thing that the first and second commandments are only one commandment. And then they divide up the tenth commandment into two. And in that way, they get their ten commandments. But in the Reformed tradition, we believe the first and second commandment are found in this. The first, Thou shalt have no other gods. The second, thou shalt not worship him through graven images. The difference between these two commandments is that in the first, God is teaching us whom we must worship. In the second, he is teaching us how we must worship, whom we, who we must worship, and how we must worship. That is the difference between these two commandments. And they're very closely related because in the heathen world, from the earliest and most ancient times, sinners have always mingled these two together. They always worship other gods, and they worship those other gods through graven images. In the chapter that we read, Moses reminded the Israelites about the heathen who worshipped Baal Peor in verse 3. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did because of Baal Peor. For all the men that followed Baal-peor, the Lord thy God, hath destroyed them from among you. That was one of the heathen gods, a different god, an idol. But how did they worship that god? They made images, and they worshipped that false god in a wrong manner. That's what the heathen always do. But the warning comes to God's people in Deuteronomy, and to us today, Don't look at the heathen and who they worship and how they worship and imitate them. There has always been a great temptation for the people of God not only to worship the gods of the heathen, but also to adopt the religious practices and methods of the heathen. That's what the second commandment is all about. The heathen adopt worship practices that please the flesh, that tantalize the eyes, that involve bright, colorful imagery. That's what we like. We like to worship what we see. And that's what is forbidden in the second commandment. Let's consider the command against image worship. First of all, that we are forbidden to worship graven images. Secondly, positively, we are required to worship as God commands. And then finally, we notice a warning and a promise attached to this commandment. What is the second commandment? We heard it earlier this morning. We find it in the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 34. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. We must take that all together. We must not separate those into different parts, but we must take those all together. Thou shalt not make graven images, bow down to them, and serve them. That's what is forbidden in the second commandment. Moses reiterated that commandment to the children of Israel in the book of Deuteronomy, which we read this morning, chapter 4, verse 15. He tells them that when they go into the land of Canaan, they must take good heed unto themselves. For ye saw no manner of similitude on the day that the Lord spake unto you in Horeb out of the midst of the fire, lest ye corrupt yourselves and make you a graven image. The similitude or the likeness or the resemblance of any figure, the likeness of male or female, beasts that are on the earth, winged fowl that flyeth in the air, things that creep on the ground, the fish that are in the sea. Or you lift up your eyes to heaven and you see the sun, the moon, and the stars, and you make graven images of those, and you worship those gods through images. On the basis of Scripture, the Heidelberg Catechism teaches us what God forbids in the second commandment is that we represent God by images, or that we represent creatures And we worship those creatures through images. Now, let's be clear about this commandment this morning. God does not forbid that we make graven images, period. We must not misunderstand when we hear the second commandment, the first thing we hear is, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images. And we might then conclude, the second commandment says, Never make a graven image. What is a graven image? An image is just a representation of something, a resemblance of something. And to make an image can be done in many different ways. A graven image is an image made out of clay or wood or even ice or stone or gold or silver. And you engrave or you carve that image. And in that way, you make a representation of something else. God does not forbid that practice all by itself. I think we all understand that. God does not forbid us the activities of carving, painting, photography, making videos, making images of various kinds. That's not what is forbidden in this commandment. Heidelberg Catechism teaches that too when it says, As to creatures, though they may be represented, that's not the issue. Creatures may be represented. God has created a beautiful and wonderful world full of creatures. The same creatures mentioned in the passage that we read. The birds of the heavens, of all their different shapes and colors and sizes. The creeping things of the earth. The sun and the moon and the stars. Beautiful, glorious Is God's creation, and God does not forbid us to capture those creatures, to make paintings, to make photographs, to make videos, to make other kinds of images in order to rejoice in God's creatures, in order to glorify God in that way, in order to worship God as the creator of those creatures. God does not forbid us to make images to decorate our homes. To hang up a painting in our home or to have a little sculpture of some kind in our home. There's nothing wrong with that in and of itself. Just consider the fact that God commanded Moses and Solomon to adorn the tabernacle and later the temple with all kinds of carvings and engravings of gold and of brass, of beautiful woods and curtains, furniture. There were even images of angels on the Ark of the Covenant. There were images of pomegranate fruits and and flowers. The temple and tabernacle were full of images. But there were no images of God. That's the thing. Some of our churches today, too, you might find an image of a cross hanging in that church. You might find a stained glass window with modest symbolism, such as a symbol of a Bible or other biblical symbolism. Some Christians might have a problem with that. But to make images of creatures, according to the catechism, is not forbidden in the second commandment in and of itself. What is forbidden is that we make images, graven images, painted images, photographic images, or any other kinds of images, to represent God by that image. To teach something about God through that image. Or to worship God through that image. Why is that? Why does God forbid us to do that? The reason is that God is a spirit. God is a spiritual being. He is pure spirit. And that means that he does not have any color. He does not have any shape. He does not have any form. He does not have any material substance and therefore it is impossible to make an accurate representation of him. Besides that, God is infinitely glorious, infinitely exalted above the creation that he has made. God is transcendent. He is above space and time and material and creatures. He cannot be represented, and therefore we may not represent him. The prophet Isaiah exalted in the glorious nature of our transcendent God. In Isaiah 40, when he said, To whom then will ye liken God, or what likeness will ye compare unto him? Lift up your eyes on high, and behold, who hath created all these things, that bringeth out their hosts by number. He calleth them all by names, by the greatness of his might, for that he is strong in power, not one faileth. To make an image as a representation of God degrades him. It dishonors him. It pulls down the glorious, omnipresent, almighty God of creation and says this is what God is like. It is impossible to make any comparison of God. So what God forbids is to make images of himself. God forbids that we worship him in any other way than he commands us in his word. But the sinner always disregards God's will. The sinner will worship however he pleases, whatever makes sense to him, whatever delights him, whatever fascinates him. And since the most ancient of times, the sinner's favorite way has been to make graven images Because we sinners like to see something. We like to see what we adore. We like to see what we love, what we worship, what we praise. We want to be able to look at it. And so, sinners make graven images, statues, sculptures, paintings, male and female, combinations of human and animal traits, images of beasts, birds, reptiles, fish, And these are all supposed to represent traits of their gods. So they mingle the first and second commandments in their sin and in their false religion. But it's not only the heathen who have done this. Also the Christian church has tolerated images from the most ancient times of church history. The Roman Catholic Church and the Eastern Orthodox churches, which represent the Vast majority of professing Christians in the world today are full of images. You can go into any of their churches and you are almost certain to find at least one and probably many images, images of God, the Father, images of God, the Son, images of God, the Holy Spirit, images of Mary and the saints, many, many, many images And you find people going into those churches and bowing down to those images and praying to those images and kissing those images and serving those images and bringing offerings to those images. And that's exactly what God forbids in the second commandment. During the Reformation, our Protestant forefathers, many of ours were in the Netherlands, when the Reformation took place and Roman Catholicism was pushed out of the churches in the Netherlands, our forefathers condemned that practice of image worship. And literally, they went into the churches with stones in their hands and threw those stones at the stained glass windows that were full of images of God and Christ and the Holy Spirit and demolished those windows and demolished those statues. That was a movement known as Iconoclasm. Our forefathers insisted that we may not even tolerate these images as books to the laity. We find that phrase in our Lord's Day. May not these images just be tolerated as books to the laity? Can't we just leave those images in the windows and in the statues and the catechism says no? We can't tolerate them. Books to the laity, meaning a way of teaching the common, ignorant, uneducated people who don't read and who aren't able to read, can't we just tolerate all these images as a way to teach the common people? The Catechism says no. That was the past. But now we're 500 years past the Reformation, and what we see today is that many Protestant churches who have kicked out the images from the front door are letting them in through the back door in the form of religious films, religious movies, religious plays, and books with pictures of God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And they are trying once again to teach the people through images. Now, as I said, some Christians may have more of a problem with images than others. There is some gray area there, I personally do not believe that there's anything wrong with using images of trees, animals, soldiers, temples to teach the Bible stories to the children in the catechism classes, in the Christian schools, in the home. We have Bible story books with many images in them. The Bible itself is full of images, isn't it? The Bible is a very picturesque book. And the Bible also presents God Himself to us, teaching His people through dreams and visions, which were full of images, but not images of God, not images of the Holy Spirit, not images of Christ. That's the thing. That's what is forbidden. Not to make images of creatures, not to teach through images of creatures, not to look at encyclopedias with images, pictures, photographs, artwork, but to use the practice of image-making to teach about God. Today, movies are made in which an actor impersonates God and speaks as if his voice is the voice of God. That's making a graven image of God through one's voice. Or men actually act out and try to portray Jesus Christ, and they act as if they are Jesus Christ, even to the point of being hung, pretending to be hung on a cross. God will not have us taught that way. We must not pretend to be wiser than God. They think they're wiser than God. They think we need Jesus films to promote the gospel in the world. We live in a visual age, they say. People need images. Catechism says, let's not pretend that we are wiser than God. God knows how we are to be taught. Now, we look around ourselves in our church building here and there are no images No images up here. No images on the walls. And I'm sure if I go into your homes, I won't find any images of God or images of the Holy Spirit or of Jesus. Probably no paintings. We have a very simple and unadorned church building, a very simple liturgy. I assume that we're careful not to watch movies that portray God or Jesus. Or to use books to the best that we are able, which have pictures of God and Christ and the Holy Spirit. And so we check off all the boxes, right? And does that mean, if we check off all the boxes there, that we are righteous? That we keep this commandment? That we can just move on to the third commandment? Because We obviously keep the second commandment. We don't have graven images. We don't worship God that way. We know better. As soon as we hear that, we know that's the thinking of the Pharisees. The Pharisees are those who strut about, proudly boasting of their religious correctness, that they keep all of the commandments, pointing their finger at the heathen, pointing their finger at other denominations and other religions. But this morning, God says, point the finger at yourself. If we only point the finger at everyone else, then we think of ourselves as righteous. And if we think of ourselves as righteous, then we have no need of the righteous one. We have no need of Christ. We have no need to be justified, at least in regard to this commandment. We've done it. Have we indeed avoided breaking the second commandment? It may be true that we have no images here in our church building or in our homes or in our schools. It may be that we come to church twice on Sunday and worship God in the ways that He commands, and that we are even very conservative and very strict in our insistence on reformed worship. We might be very strict about that, very stern. But is it then the case that we go home and all week long we stare at our television as the images flash by, images of our favorite actors, images of our favorite athletes, images of our favorite shows? Is it the case that we go out of church on Sunday and we immediately have to take hold of our smartphone and open it up and start looking at all kinds of images of the things that actually fascinate us? the things that actually capture our hearts? Is it so that we have the right worship on Sunday in church, but we actually fasten our hearts to creatures? And although we know the true God and we worship the true God rightly, outwardly, all week long we devote ourselves to the adoration and the service and the worship of creatures. And images of those creatures. We get onto the internet and we find all kinds of worldly people who capture our hearts with their voices, with their songs, with their acting, with their dancing. And there we are, staring at those moving images all week long, fastening our hearts to them and boasting that we have the right Reformed worship. Is that the case? Is it so that sometimes we are like the silversmiths of old, like old Demetrius in his shop crafting images of Diana out of silver and gold? Is it so that we carefully craft photographic images of ourselves to post them up on Snapchat and Instagram and Facebook so that everybody will see those images of us and will bow down to us and like us and praise us and worship us? Do we do that? Do we not make graven images, photographic images, digital images? Do we not love images? Do we not love to worship through images? Of course we do. And do not misunderstand. As I've already made clear, I'm not saying it's wrong to look at images of creatures not wrong to watch television. It's not wrong to look at the internet. But we are hypocrites of the worst sort. If we stare in awestruck wonder and admiration at images all week long, and then we condemn everyone else, like the Roman Catholics, the Eastern Orthodox, and heathen religions for all of their false image worship, worshiping the creature rather than God. There's a warning here for us. We might think it could never happen that we would have graven images in our humble, unadorned church. We would never do that. But if we are staring at all kinds of images and worshiping our idols through those images on the television, computer, phone, and tablet all week long, do we not think that eventually those images will make their way into our churches too and into our worship, just like the Israelites of old with their golden calves. There's only one image of God, one lawful image, and that's Jesus, precious Jesus. He is the image, the only image of the invisible God. God made that image. God himself made that image. When God came into human flesh and walked among us, and that is the one and only image through whom we must know God and through whom we must worship. Do you want to know what God looks like? then look at Jesus. Not a painting of Jesus. Not a movie about Jesus. But the word of Jesus that is revealed in the scriptures and preached in the gospel. Look at Jesus on the cross. Hanging there on that cross. And there you see God. There you see the justice of God. The mercy of God. The grace of God and the wisdom of God. All of God's glorious virtues are revealed in Jesus. Jesus is the supreme representation of God, who through his own precious blood has paid for all of our wicked image worship. How then would God have us to worship him? The Catechism teaches us that God would have us to worship Him only in the ways that He commands in His Word. Focus on that for a moment. There's another way to break this commandment than fascination with images. And that other way is that we worship God in ways that we devise of our own hearts in ways that harmonize with our own lusts, in ways that please us, in ways that meet our human, sinful, corrupt desires. That, too, is how we break this commandment. That's why people worship with images. Why do they do that? Because it's visual, it's beautiful, it's flashy, it grabs your attention and holds your attention. It pleases the flesh. So the fundamental requirement is that we only worship God in the ways God requires in his word. Moses warned the Israelites of that too long ago in chapter 4 of Deuteronomy, verse 2. In verse 1, he's reminding them, I have given you statutes and judgments and commandments. Those are the commandments of God. Now, verse 2, you shall not add unto the word which I commanded you neither shall ye diminish aught from it, that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. Don't add to what God requires. Don't take away from what God requires. Do what God requires. That's the second commandment. The first commandment, whom we must worship. The second commandment, how we must worship. Who must we worship? Jehovah, the one true and living God alone. How must we worship him? Only in the ways that he sets down in his word. And he very specifically says, not with graven images, but positively, how would God have us to worship him? God makes that very plain throughout the whole of the scriptures. You can read from Genesis through Revelation and you will find a consistent presentation of how we must worship the Lord our God. God sets down the whole of His will for our religious life. And it comes down to this God's will for us is that we hear His voice as it comes to us in His Word. We hear His voice, that first. And secondly, We respond to his voice by faith, by lifting up our own voices in thankful songs and prayers. That's the method of worship, simple, that God sets down for us in his word. So first of all, that we hear his voice. Moses made that clear to God's people in this chapter. Notice, for example, in verse 7, Moses says to the Israelites, What nation is there so great who hath God so nigh unto them as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon him for. What a blessed privilege that God, the the one true God, draws nigh to us as a people, as a nation. That's astounding. And then in verses 12 and 13, he reminds them, The Lord spake unto you out of the midst of the fire. Remember at Mount Sinai, God spoke to you. You heard the voice of the words, but saw no similitude, only you heard a voice. A voice. Not a similitude, a voice. You didn't see a picture, you didn't see a movie, you didn't see a painting, you didn't see a sculpture, you heard a voice. You heard God speak to you. And he declared unto you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform, even ten commandments, and he wrote them upon two tables of stone. That's how God would have us to worship, first of all. Hear my voice. The Catechism says we must not pretend to be wiser than God. He will have his people taught not by dumb images. The catechism has in mind statues that cannot speak. But the lively preaching of his word. And by that lively, he doesn't so much mean that it has to be a dynamic delivery. He means that preaching has to be by a living person. So that you hear a living voice. That's how God will have us to be taught. Through the preaching of his word. And when the Catechism says not by dumb images, we may not then try to reason, well, what about, what about moving pictures in which you have people acting and pretending to be God and there you have a, a living voice, don't you? No. That's also excluded. God doesn't want us to worship Him or learn about Him through any kinds of images. pictures, Photographs, videos, movies, books, but through the lively preaching of his word. And if we remember that Jesus is the one lawful image of God, what is the lively preaching of his word? It's the lively preaching of Jesus. That's how God would have us to be taught. When Jesus Christ is lifted up in the preaching of the word, the one image of God is lifted up God speaks to us and God portrays himself to us in the preaching of Christ, the person of Christ, the work of Christ, the ways of Christ, the promises of Christ, the love of Christ, the cross of Christ, the resurrection of Christ. You cannot see him. You cannot see God and you cannot see Christ and you cannot see the Holy Spirit, but you hear his voice, the voice of God telling you of Christ. We do not need anything more. Do you hear his voice this morning? This morning, no image, no similitude is set before you, but you hear the voice of God and the lively preaching of Christ. Do you believe in this God whom you cannot see, whom you have never seen, Do you believe in his Christ, who died and rose again for our sins, to save us? Then hearing his voice, God says, Worship me in all the ways that I command you in my word. Worship me in spirit and in truth. The proper worship of God is not by sight, but by faith. That's one of the fundamental principles of this commandment. Not by sight, but by faith. Not by looking with your eyes at an image, but by looking by faith at the crucified and risen Christ. Not by bowing down to an image, but by lifting up prayers of supplication and thanksgiving to God by faith. We don't come with our offerings and set them down before an image. But we come with our offerings and give them into the collection plate for the poor and the needy and for the support to the causes of God's kingdom. We don't come to church to watch rock concerts that masquerade as worship, but we come to lift up our own voices using the psalms and hymns that God has given to us in his word to express our worship, our love, our adoration of the Most High God, our Savior. God says, Worship me in all of the ways that I command you in my word. Through hearing my word, through responding to my word, through prayer, supplication, thanksgiving, songs, praise, music, reverence, joy. Psalm 95, verse 1. Oh, come. Let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Psalm 96, verse 9. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before him all the earth. John 4, verse 24. Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. Ephesians 5, verse 19, the Apostle writes, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 17, pray without ceasing. God lays down in his word how we are to worship him. And that's the positive requirement. Do you delight to worship God that way? Do you delight, do you rejoice to come to church on the Lord's Day to lift up songs of praise and thanksgiving, prayers of adoration and supplication to hear the lively preaching of the word of God? Or do we find it rather boring and dull. If we spend all week staring at the flashing images on our televisions and devices and phones, looking at the dancing and the acting and enjoying the songs of the world with the bright lights and all the rest, all that tantalizes, all that captures us, all that excites us, and fills us with emotional experiences that we don't seem to have in church, then what do we expect when we come to church? It's not going to be a very exciting thing. Are we bored with the right worship of God? Do we find it a drag? Do we find it dull? Do we find it boring? Do we have to drag ourselves out of bed in the morning to go to church? Pray that that's not true. I've seen it in my ministry. For a minister, as you might imagine, it's a very disappointing thing to see that immediately after the church service, someone, a young person, pulls out their smartphone and is immediately playing video games on their smartphone, literally only minutes after church. Is it that boring? Does it have no effect on us? Does the word of God make no impression on us? Are we not filled with thanksgiving to God? Do we not delight to sing praises to God in psalms, and hymns, and spiritual songs, to come before him in prayer and supplication, to adore him and lift up praises to heaven by faith? That's the worship God wants. I hope we do not need to go home immediately after church and jump onto the internet in order to fill void that we feel we're getting in church, to watch all kinds of religious or philosophical videos. You know, another kind of graven image is a false doctrine. False doctrines often are taught in very flashy and appealing ways. Nowadays, with the Internet, we can get onto YouTube or other apps, and we can find all kinds of religion, all kinds of philosophy. Ideas about God. Plenty of them. Clothed in all different kinds of modern, sophisticated, graven images. And those things threaten to capture our attention, to capture our hearts, to lead us astray. Just as the old silversmith sat in his shop and carefully fashioned those images of Diana and the other gods, so also today people are carefully fashioning their YouTube videos, uploading them for the religious enjoyment of the masses. They can be very thought-provoking, these images, these videos. They can be sensational. Often they are presented in sensational clothing because that's what image worship is all about. Sensation. Capturing the attention through senses. Rather than the simple proclamation of God's word for the building up of our faith. We must be aware of that, beloved. I say that to myself just as much as to you. We, you and I, we must be aware of the powers of. The religious deception found the graven images in our world today. Let's take delight, rather, in the lively preaching of God's word from the scriptures where we can hear of Christ. Finally, God attaches to this commandment a warning and a promise. And that warning and promise doesn't apply just to this commandment it applies to the whole law but God puts it right here after the first and second commandments because these first two commandments are fundamental worshiping the right God in the right way is fundamental to our whole life life and our whole religious life and we are all prone to worship other gods in other ways and God warns us I am a jealous God. I visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. That's the warning. Moses reminded them of that too in the chapter we read in verse 24. The Lord thy God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. Jealous we all know what jealousy is. A husband is jealous of his wife. A wife is jealous of her husband, jealous of their affections, their devotion. God is jealous of our affections, our devotion, our adoration. He wants us to worship Him alone as our God and to destroy all the idols that we are prone to worship. He will not give his glory to anyone else. He will not allow us to worship anyone else as our God. He's a jealous God. And in his jealousy, he warns us I will visit the iniquity of fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. Those who hate me and who choose other gods and live their lives in service to those other gods. God says, I will visit that iniquity of you fathers upon your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren after you. If you hate me, then you will teach your children to hate me too. If you worship other gods, you'll teach your children to worship other gods too. And it's been observed This has been observed. This happens. When fathers walk in certain sins, their children walk in those sins. When fathers have certain addictions, their children often have those same addictions. And they're passed down from generation to generation to the third and fourth generation until at last God cuts us off entirely. Maybe in the third and fourth generations God will still save us as it were by a thread but then he cuts us off. That's the warning. That we'll be cut off in our generations. And so the warning is meant to stir us up to a holy hatred of the idols which still cleave to us. That we might kill them, mortify them, put them away. And that we will teach our children too. And show to our children by our example. My son, my daughter, these are idols. I hate them. I'm fighting against them. Don't worship them. But then God gives a beautiful promise. We hear that promise every Sunday when we hear the law. Showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. God promises to show mercy, glorious, blessed, sweet mercy, everlasting mercy, the mercy of the blessings of salvation in Jesus Christ, which he determines to give to all of his elect. He will show those mercies to his elect, to the thousands of his people who love him and keep his commandments. He will not show those mercies to us because we love him, not because we keep his commandments. He's not promising here conditionally that if we do these things, then he will bless us. But he will show this blessed mercy to us, his elect people, by faith in Christ alone and in the way of loving him who first loved us, in the way of keeping his commandments. That's the promise that God gives to stir us up to a holy love of his good law. This law of God isn't our enemy. This law of God is good. This law of God shows us what is good. And God now urges us, keep my law. You're free to keep it. Because I've justified you freely through the blood of my son. You don't have to keep that law for your righteousness. Keep this law in love for me as I have loved you. Amen. Father, we thank Thee for Thy good law. What a blessing and a treasure it is. More precious to us than gold and silver. We pray that Thou would make these words sweet to us. That we might desire to walk in all Thy precepts. Forgive us we have seen that we are just as guilty as the heathen and as other professing Christians who use graven images. Be merciful unto us, O God. Pardon our iniquities. Cause us to be able to identify the specific ways that each of us is prone to worship thee or to worship creatures in ways which thou dost forbid. Give us a holy delight in the lively preaching of thy word and in the right worship of thy name. All this we pray.